0: Thank you very much indeed, Andrew, uh, for reading the word and also for for praying for us as we come to God's word. Uh, We're continuing this series in practical theology. Uh, You'll recall we've looked at the topics of anger, uh, alcohol, food, and today we come to the issue of pornography. A few things hadn't gone right at work. I went out to get a coffee, and this girl walked past me. She was quite skimply dressed in a short skirt, and something in deep down in me came alive. Having brought my coffee, I went back to the office. I could not stop thinking about that good feeling, and in comparison to the stuff at work that hadn't gone well, it was such a pleasant experience. No one else was in the office, and so I started to have a quick look around on the internet to find something that would make me feel the same way. I'd never been interested in hardcore porn or videos or violent porn or anything that today's society would describe as porn. I was tempted by softcore porn like nudity and erotica. I knew it was wrong, but I loved that feeling. I found a few things, and after looking for a few minutes, I felt so terrible, I stopped looking. I was racked with guilt. If only my wife knew what I was looking at, if only my kids knew, if only my friends knew, where will this all end? Am I going to end up raping someone or having an affair? The guilt only made me feel worse. And before I knew it, I was back there again to feel better. And the cycle continued for the next few hours, and I must have looked at 100 to 150 images. It only stopped when I left the office. My mind was in a fog. On the way home, I looked at most girls as I saw a pornographic image. It made me feel even worse. How could God love me? Could anyone love me? I will never beat this. I felt trapped, wretched, and crushed. That was the experience of a young man, and his experience is sadly a common experience for many men today, and not just men. And it speaks of a person trapped and wretched and crushed. Now, I acknowledge that this topic of pornography is a raw subject, both for those who struggle with it, and also for those who have been on the receiving end of it. But we need to look at it together and to think through a biblical response to it. Uh, The statistics indicate that it is predominantly a male problem, uh, although not exclusively. Uh, 65% of men are said to have struggled with it, but also 15% of women. I'm going to be speaking to the issue here, assuming that I'm addressing the men. However, I'm not denying that this will also be applicable to women in some instances. And if that's the case, please substitute the female gender for the male gender when I talk to the men, if you see and follow. Let me tell you where we're going to go this morning. We're going to see, firstly, the goodness of sex, secondly, the perils of porn, and thirdly, the pathways to change. And this is not just for those of us who struggle with porn, it's also to help all of us understand the whole issue so that we can be more sympathetic and supportive to those who do struggle with it. And also, we're going to think about, finally, how we can also help the next generation for it not to become an issue for them. We've got to think about how we can care for our kids. So this is a deeply relevant topic for all of us. So firstly, the goodness of sex. Uh, A healthy Christian view of sex is very important. I can still remember the first day that my mother broached the issue of a Christian viewpoint of sex with me. Uh, I must have been maybe 10 or 11 at the time. I, I can recall her words clearly. As if it was yesterday, and so you would expect with such a topic. Uh, My mum said to me, look, uh, sex is not something which is in and of itself dirty. Uh, Used in the right context in marriage, it is a wonderful gift of God. Well, this was a bit of a revelation for me at the time, and I thought, well, this is good news. Uh, Some people would view the Bible as being anti-sex, but nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible is very positive about sex when it's used in its right context. Uh, The Bible tells us that we've been created from intimacy for intimacy. And sex is one aspect of that intimacy for which we're created. We know, of course, uh, we've been created in the image of God. And Andrew picked up on some of the passages that he drew on in leading the service. We've been created in God's image. And part of what that means is that we share aspects of God's nature. And at the heart of God's character and nature is relational intimacy. It's what we call the Trinity. Although there is only one God, God is nevertheless a Trinity of distinguishable persons who share intimate relationship together. Uh, You could say, therefore, that we've been created from intimacy for intimacy. Intimacy with God and intimacy with people. It's in our DNA. And we enjoy intimacy with each other, of course, in different ways. Uh, Family life, uh, friendship, and also in marriage. And sexual intimacy within marriage is the highest physical and emotional level That intimacy. You'll be familiar with that passage in Ephesians 5, I'm sure. Because in this passage in Ephesians 5, a startling link is drawn between, on the one hand, sexual intimacy within marriage and our intimacy with God in Christ. Uh, Look at Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, uh, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. There's an unexpected twist at the end. Actually, he's not just talking about sex between um, husband and wife. He's also saying it's a model. In some way, sex in marriage is a model of the intimacy that Christ and his people will one day enjoy in the new creation. Uh, And that's what we see uh, when we look more widely in Scripture. Uh, The Bible uses the metaphor of a wedding celebration to describe that joyful day when Christians will be reunited with Jesus when he returns. Look at Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. So as Christians, intimacy is part of our eternal destiny. We've been created from intimacy, the Trinity, for intimacy with God and with each other. And in God's good design, our sexuality has a powerful, positive role within marriage. Uh, It's not just for making kids, although, of course, that's important. It's also for pleasure and for bonding. Uh, Sex is like a glue. It's a joyful intimacy that binds a man and a wife together, uh, two previously independent people becoming united together as one. Those familiar words of Genesis 22, verse 24, says this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. It's interesting that um, the more we understand about how the brain works, the more we appreciate that we are truly fearfully and wonderfully made by God. You see, the brain has a central role in our sexual behavior. Now, you could say uh, the brain is both the hardware and the software of the human personality. It's a bit like an electrochemical operation centre. The brain receives sensory information from all over the body, and this sensory information stimulates the brain cells to communicate with each other. Now, It's interesting that brain cells don't touch, and they, they, they transmit signals to one another across what is called a synapse, a gap. And over time, the cells form set patterns of communication with each other. Uh, They create chains which, once established, become learned patterns of behaviour, for good or for evil. Uh, You could think of it like the writing of a computer programme. And when the first link in the chain is stimulated, the mind runs to the end of the chain with electric speed. Let's narrow it down now and think about what happens in the brain in particular when it is receiving sexual stimulation signals. Stimulation may be sight, maybe touch, smell, sound, ideas, memories, or images. Now, when the brain receives sexual sensory information, it triggers certain chains. And when the end of these chains are reached, powerful chemicals are released in the brain. And a key one is uh, dopamine, which makes you feel fantastic. And the chemicals activate the centres of the brain, which are tasked with pleasure or reward. And therefore, we have this sensation of pleasure. Isn't it incredible how God has made us? These chemicals are powerful, and they bind us to that which stimulates them. That's the whole point. And this is why God has ring-fenced sex with a covenantal commitment. You see, sex is only to be used within marriage because it's so powerful. It can only be constructive in the setting of a lifelong, exclusive commitment. You see, in his wisdom, God has designed marriage around this pleasure bond, and sex is the glue. So first, then, we've seen the goodness of sex. Secondly, let's move on to think about the perils of porn. You see, once we understand something of this powerful chemistry set of the brain, the danger becomes very clear, doesn't it? A misuse of our sexuality can be very destructive. Uh, Sex can glue us to our spouse, but it can also glue us to pornography, to fantasy, to masturbation and sexual activity outside of marriage. So you see, whilst we're going to focus specifically on pornography, the blast radius is much wider than that. Any form of sexual immorality is destructive. Uh, Very basic question, what is pornography? Uh, Pornography, as I'm sure you know, is sexually explicit media which elicits sexual arousal. It could be images, it could be videos, it could even be writings. Now, how does our, our society view pornography? Well, a prevalent view today in society is that uh, porn is not harmful. Uh, it's just between the user and the media, uh, it's just self contained, it's not harmful. But it doesn't stop there. You see, society today doesn't only think that porn is not harmful, it actually goes further than that and says it's actually healthy. The view in society today is often about pornography helping create new opportunities for exploring our sexual identity and promoting our sexual health. Uh, In our society, uh, pornography is no longer shamed. Uh, To watch it or to engage with it, in some cases, is commended. In some cases, it could even be argued that uh, programs within our schools encourage young adults to watch pornography. And that's what's happening out there in the world today. Now, I don't know if you noticed on the the news, but um, uh, two days ago, the state of Utah passed a resolution declaring porn was a public Health risk. That is a very significant peace uh, resolution. Uh, this is groundbreaking news. The state of Utah has declared that porn is a public health risk. Uh, let me read to you um, a, a statement by Senator Todd Wyler, who was uh, a member of that, uh, who made this resolution. Uh, this is a serious issue, he says. Uh, this is not just some. Hairbrained resolution, but outlines scientific research about the damage that pornography does. Uh, Looking to another authority, uh, Victor Klein, an American psychologist. Uh, Victor Klein has conducted extensive research into the effects of pornography. And he's drawn the following conclusion, and I've put it on the screen. And I quote In my clinical experience, the major consequence of being addicted to pornography is not the probability or possibility of committing a serious sexual crime, although this can and does occur, but rather the disturbance of the fragile bonds of intimate family and marital relationships. Do you see? That's the real damage. The intimate and fragile bonds of family and marital relationships. A person who has been eroticized by porn has been described as a toxic waste dump, which sooner or later will leak. The effects will not be confined to them alone. And pornography is toxic. It destroys the fragile bonds of intimate family and marital relationships. You could summarise it like this. Porn kills love. Porn kills love love. Porn is damaging. It's damaging to the user, it's damaging in marriages, it's damaging to families and it's damaging to the people portrayed in the porn. Let's take each of those in turn. Firstly, the user. Porn changes behaviour. It changes what you expect and it changes what you enjoy and it changes how you react to things in a very destructive way. Way. It changes our wiring. Pornography rewires the way that the brain responds to stimulus and it changes the way that the body reacts. Uh, At first, it may simply add new pathways for stimulus and arousal, but it soon also changes the way that the body responds and reacts and the things that the body responds and reacts to. Porn destroys normal healthy, human sexual attraction, arousal, and intimacy. And it replaces it with something else. Let's dig down a little deeper on how it impacts the user. Uh, Firstly, uh, porn wires the brain to prefer a fantasy woman over a real woman. You see, porn damages a man's ability to engage in real relationships and to work through problems in those relationships. God designed sex to be the mutual giving of two people, each to the other. And yet porn feeds the lie that sex can be a solo act. It can be something which we can enjoy on our own. And it encourages that inward mindset that, hey, this is all about me. A second way uh, porn uh, affects the user is that it corrupts the view of women. In a horrible way, porn distorts a man's view of women. As I recounted to you, that experience of that young man at the beginning of this sermon, he himself found that he could no longer view women without in his mind transforming them into a pornographic image. Do you see what it does? Porn causes men to dehumanize women and to treat them as mere objects for pleasure. Uh, Thirdly, the third effect on the user is that it can become addictive. Uh, When the pleasure centres of the brain are repeatedly activated by a certain stimulus, the brain actually raises the threshold of stimulus required to experience the pleasure signal. So you see what happens. With porn, this means that to get the same buzz, in some way, they've got to look at more and harder stuff to get the same buzz, and it can therefore become addictive. A fourth way that porn affects the individual is that it can lead to sexualized behavior. It can lead to a fancy in the mind that eventually is acted out in real life in ungodly sexual behavior erotic material uh, viewed by somebody before the age of 14 produces a more sexually active adult the research has shown this the research shows that when they engage in that they in due course will engage in more varied sexual behaviors than those who haven't been exposed to pornography below the age of 14 and the last effect on the user is a spiritual one the loss of intimacy with God. You see, spiritually, porn leads to this loss of intimacy with our Creator. Uh, Porn can spawn great guilt and despondency. Porn can make us feel dirty and depraved before a holy God and far from Him. And porn also deprives us of those quiet moments with God. And porn makes it hard to read our Bibles and porn makes it hard to become, come before God in prayer. It deprives us of those quiet moments with God. So that's one of the first perils of porn for the user, but it doesn't stop there. Secondly, it affects and it damages marriages. Porn leads to a loss of intimacy. Porn destroys love. And it can lead to a loss of intimacy with our spouse. Uh, firstly from the husband's side, it can erode his attraction to his wife. Uh, The husband can have this digital harem in his mind to which he can turn whenever he wants. And he can become more critical critical of his wife physically as he compares her to the idealised images portrayed in the poem. And you see, it can foster this critical spirit and it can erode the husband's feelings of love and attraction for his wife. Now, from the wife's side, when she learns that her husband is engaged with porn, how do you think that makes her feel? She can feel deep, painful feelings of betrayal and rejection. Why does he prefer these women to me? It can seem like he is having an affair, and she, as a result, can withdraw both emotionally and sexually. And this can in turn cause her husband to look even more to his digital harem for his satisfaction, and the whole situation spirals downwards. The third area which porn can destroy are families. If the children learn of their father's involvement with porn, it can lead to deep-seated mistrust of him as a father, and even men more generally. This was a letter written by a daughter to her dad, and I quote in full. Dear Dad, I want to let you know, first of all, that I love you and forgive you for what this has done to my life. I also want to let you know exactly what your porn use has done to my life. I found your porn on the computer when I was 12 just when I was becoming a young woman. Because of your pornography, I was aware that mum was not the only woman you were looking at. I became acutely aware of your wandering eye when you were out and about, and this taught me that all men have a wandering eye and can't be trusted. I've learned to distrust and even dislike men for the way they perceived women this way. When I had friends over, I wondered how you perceived them. Did you see them as my friends or as pretty faces in your fantasies? No girl should ever be having to wonder about what a man who is supposed to be protecting her and the other women in his life is doing. Dad, if I could tell you one thing, it would be this. Porn didn't just affect your life. It affected everyone around you in many ways that I don't think you realise. It still affects me to this day, as I realise the hold it has on our society. And I dread the day when I have to talk with my sweet little boy about pornography and its far-reaching greedy hands, when I tell him that pornography, like most sins, affects far more than just us. Love your daughter. Imagine having that written to you by your own daughter. Harrowing. Porn destroys families. And fourthly, uh, porn destroys those who are portrayed in it. Uh, We don't have time to dig into this, but it is harrowing. The effect it has on those who actually are portrayed in it. Can you imagine what this must do to their own understanding of their sexuality and their self-worth. Even if they don't realise or acknowledge it, the reality is that they are dehumanised and treated as a product and not a person. And statistically, women involved in the porn industry will only survive three months before they are forced to leave, usually due to major physical health issues. Porn has a devastating and destructive effect. And it's far wider than just the user. And now, one of the, um, the best websites that i found on this topic, uh, particularly on the dangers of porn, is uh, one which is called uh, uh, Fight the New Drug. I would encourage you to have a look at it. I've got a picture of this on the screen. Um, you can just see that, there it is. Uh, Fight the New Drug. Uh, it's an amazingly uh, clear and concise uh, website. Um, we can't scroll down here, this is an image of it, but if you scroll down it, has, it explores these three areas, the brain, heart and world, uh, on the effects of porn and it also lists all the, the research which backs this up and it's a very clear and concise uh, insight into it. And i encourage each of you to go uh, and read this, uh, have a look at this website uh, after this sermon. Uh, I've put the link uh, at the b- end of the sermon outline uh, in the bulletin. There's a, a few links there and I'll refer to them when I come to them. This is one of them. Have a look at this website. It is very clear and very helpful. Uh, So, uh, fight the drug. Many people argue that uh, despite the fact that science and psychological studies show that porn is bad, they still maintain that porn doesn't really matter. But for the Christian, of course, it does. Uh, As we've seen, the Bible affirms that the positive exercise of our sexuality is just for marriage. And it follows, therefore, that sexual activity outside of that is not God's pattern. And in fact, the Bible says some pretty strong words about sexual immorality. Uh, Paul writes that those who are sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Frequently, the New Testament writers use sexual immorality as the picture of something that we have been redeemed from So you see the bible is very clear for the christian porn is not an acceptable form of behavior and indeed it is deeply destructive to us So we thought about the goodness of sex the perils of porn now thirdly the pathways to change How can we guard against porn becoming a problem Or if it is already a problem, what are the pathways to victory over it? Firstly, it starts with the resolve to glorify God afresh with our bodies. We know, don't we, for every Christian, our overarching charter in life is to honour and glorify God in every sphere of life. And this is especially so in the realm of our sexuality. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, says this. Flee from sexual immorality. And Verse 19, do, not, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God? Verse 20, therefore, honour God with your body. It's good to remind ourselves of that, is it not? This is our central purpose as Christians, this should be the passion of our heart, to glorify God and to honor him in all we do in particular with our body therefore it's healthy for us to occasionally do a self-audit where am I in danger of not glorifying God in particular with my body and what do I need to do to put it right secondly uh, another pathway to change is to guard the heart. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, this uh, beautiful passage where uh, effectively a father is talking to his son and he's given him words of pearly wisdom uh, for life. And in Proverbs 4, verse 23, the father says to his son this Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. That's what he's saying, and that is such good advice to all of us. Guard your heart. Remember those chains of the brain, uh, the neuropathways? They are to be cultivated most carefully. And what we look at, of course, is a key part of those chains forming and developing. Remember the vow of Job in Job 31. He says this, I made a covenant with my eyes, not to look lustfully at a girl. What a great covenant to make with the eyes. And this is especially difficult for men because men get their highs through their eyes. You see? That's how men get their highs through their eyes. Young men, particularly, guard your heart. Don't be deceived into thinking that porn is just some harmless fun. It will feel good initially, but in the end it will bring pain and frustration and ruin. Young men, innocence in this area is a real blessing. Once the mind has been corrupted, the battle stays with you for the rest of your life. Do all possible to keep your mind pure. It starts with the eyes. And if you're already struggling with porn, then the battle starts now. Guard the heart from here on. Uh, Some very good practical advice I read about uh, when I was preparing was for men to learn to bounce their eyes away from women. So uh, what happens normally is men, by nature, tend to bounce their eyes towards the sexual. And yet there is real wisdom in doing the opposite. It's good for men to learn to bounce their eyes away from the sexual, unless, of course, it's your wife, in which case it's entirely appropriate. So, uh, men, if we meet a stunningly gorgeous girl, uh, what do we do? Uh, The best approach is to say, hey, what a beautiful girl, thank God, that is the way you've made her, and to move on, not to follow her, either literally or in our mind because that is where the danger is, following it either literally or in our mind. A third practical pathway to change, uh, being honest and humble. Uh, I studied at some more theological college, and I can still remember the day in one of the college chapels, uh, there were about 150 of us there, when one of my colleagues in my year stood up and made an announcement at the front. And he said to, with all the staff there, And with the whole college community there. He said, I struggle with porn. And I'm sure many of you do as well. And he said, I need your help. I need support. And therefore, he said, I want to form a support group. So we can be honest with each other. And we can support each other. And you know what? About a quarter of the college community joined that support group, men training for full-time Christian ministry. Nobody is immune from this temptation, but do you see the pathway to change? How powerful that was. It took real guts for that colleague of mine to stand up and to admit that in front of that whole college community. But do you see what he was doing? He was saying, I need help, and we need to help each other. And that's why if it is a struggle that we have, there is real benefit in getting the help of others. It may be in the form of somebody to whom we are accountable. We may just say to a close and guarded friend, this is my struggle. Can you help me? Can I be accountable to you? Can you check up on me? Now we do need to be honest if we're married to our wives and to admit to them our struggle, but it may not be helpful for them to be our primary accountability partner on whom we dump our ongoing struggles. We need to confess and be honest with our wives, but also to have somebody who helps us in the day-to-day struggle. And there is real benefit if this is our struggle also in professional counselling or support groups. Now I think um, Overcomers Outreach may run a support group which isn't just for people who struggle with alcohol addictions. I think they may also include it uh, in a wider forum for people who struggle with sexual addictions. Uh, That would be great. We have to be very careful to be involved in a support group, uh, a 12-step program that is Christian. Um, Another very good one which I'd recommend is a course called The Valiant Man. And here again, this is another reference I've put on the outline. And indeed, um, I looked at a lot of their material and found it very helpful when preparing this today. So that's a third area. Fourthly, uh, fleeing the temptation. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6 again. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee. Men, that is the aim. The aim is for us to be the men's freestyle, fleeing gold medalist when it comes to porn. To flee from it, to free from any possibility of being entrapped by it. Remember Joseph in Genesis uh, when he is being seduced by Potiphar's wife, what does he do? He flees, he gets out of there, he doesn't hang around. And that is what we need to do, to flee. Now, practically, that involves us being aware of when we are most vulnerable, and therefore being ready for it, ready to free, to flee. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous work on the HALT premise of weakness. H A L T. They identify four particular areas when we are weak. H, hungry. A angry. L, lonely. Or T, tired. Uh, Angry or lonely could also include relationship frustrations in (coughs) marriage. And those are the times when, as men, we may be particularly vulnerable. When we're hungry, angry, lonely or tired. And therefore, having identified those times when we may be subject to temptation, We need to take steps to better manage them. Uh, One friend I knew, uh, who struggled in this area, knew he was particularly vulnerable when his wife went out on a Friday night and left him alone at home. And so what he would do is this. When he knew his wife was going out, before she would go out, he would remove the battery from his laptop and also his power cord and put them up in the attic, in the the loft. (coughs) So then he knew that if he was going to look at it, he would have to go to some trouble to get put the kit back together. That was a very helpful, practical step for him. So for us, it may be uh, uh, taking steps to really uh, make sure that we are not alone to look at our computers. It may be moving our computer to a public space. It may be putting uh, helpful internet filters or accountability software on our computers. It may be even, dare I say it, Removing the internet browser from our phone. Perish the thought. We couldn't do that, could we? I know some people who do. Uh, Fifthly, retraining the brain. Uh, Struggles with porn can be very demoralising. And our morale, if we struggle with porn, can be set by this belief. The belief is this. I'm always going to struggle with it, and I can't change and I'm never going to have victory over it. But this is not the case. You see, research indicates that on the one hand it's true that once the chain in the brain has been formed, it's there for life. But the chain can be re-chained and refocused. You see, the brain is elastic. And it is possible to retrain the brain. Uh, Romans 12 talks about this, doesn't it, when it talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that is what we need to do. And therefore, men, particularly when under pressure, when tempted, it involves learning a different way of responding. We don't allow the same pattern to repeat itself. We learn a new response. Practically, that starts with bouncing the eyes. Lusting, apparently, is, is looking at something long enough where we start to get this chemical high. And it also then involves redirecting the thought process away from fantasies and directing them to godly places. Another thing we can practically do is seek alternatives to the chemical high of porn. Now, uh, it's interesting that um, when you exercise, or indeed when you have coffee, you actually get a similar chemical release as when you dabble in porn. So, when tempted, start running around the block. Go for a run. Do some exercise. Uh, If you see me running around the block, it doesn't mean to say that I'm particularly struggling with porn at that time, but the point is exercise, coffee, um, serving in the church, whatever it be. These things can help us. Uh, Sixthly, uh, cultivate the gift of sex within marriage. God's good gift of sex can only truly flourish in the soil of marriage. And yet Satan seeks to distort and to destroy that good gift. You see, Satan spreads the lie that this good gift can be enjoyed in many ways and in many other contexts outside of the boundaries of marriage. Now, uh, there will be times, and young people who are single will probably struggle to believe this is true, but there will be times in marriage when maybe sex becomes difficult. Uh, There are times in marriage when people do suffer ill health that can last for several years. There are times in marriage when people do suffer exhaustion that comes from having young children. And if that is the case for us, we shouldn't be struck with guilt if exhaustion or ill health assail our marital sex lives for a period but speaking more generally for married people sometimes the danger is that their sex lives become neglected it falls off the agenda in the business of life and I know people who aren't married find that difficult to believe but it's true and you see the point is this it's then that Satan may try to whisper his lies in our ear of seeking sexual fulfilment in some place other than our spouse. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5. Speaking to to man and wife, do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, this is speaking of sexual union, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If we're married, we should do what we can to cultivate and to care for our sex lives and to keep them fresh. Now, um, I can't say I've read this book, but uh, I hear that it's constantly recommended at Christian conferences. So uh, I'm coming in on the back of other recommendations. Uh, This is only for people who are married, so single people, I'm afraid it's not for you yet. Uh, But uh, Sheet Music by Dr. Kevin Lehman. Uh, I bought my copy fresh yesterday from Kurong. So, I have it here. If you want to thumb through it afterwards, uh, you can do. But apparently, that is a very good book uh, for just bringing a fresh input to your sex life if you're married. Recommend it. Another area. uh, And I'm coming to an end if you're wondering uh, how long we're going to be. Uh, Just two more. Uh, Seventhly, uh, reminding ourselves of the gospel. And this is very important. Because in all of this, the sense of guilt and spiritual damage can be overwhelming. One of my Christian friends who shared with me his struggles told me that for him, his struggle with porn had been something which had really damaged his spiritual walk with God. He felt there was this huge gap between him and God. He felt that God was very, very distant. But then he told me what had been the turning points in his struggle with porn, particularly as a Christian, and in his view of God. And it was a doctrine, and often you think doctrines are dry and unhelpful, but this doctrine had amazing impact in his whole struggle in that area. And it was the doctrine of justification by faith. When he dug down on this doctrine, he realised my standing before God is not by my own efforts and how I live. My standing before God legally is through Christ, through faith in Christ. He realised that this exchange happens, of course, through justification by faith. We become clothed in God's eyes by Christ's perfect righteousness. That wonderful swap happens and that for him was the turning point the doctrine of the justification by faith he realized even though he struggled with porn God still viewed him as a loved child in Christ and it didn't affect God's view of him or God's love for him any less go back to the gospel and in closing we need to comment on this very important area of how we can protect our kids. Uh, the author of uh, Big Porn Inc., uh, Melinda Tencard-Reist, reports that young boys are being exposed to hardcore, violent pornography before they even hold hands or kiss a girl. That is becoming the norm in our society today. Now, she says that 70% of boys have viewed adult content by the time they are 12 Years old, and by the time they are 15, she says it's difficult to find a boy who hasn't viewed it. She also says even girls are exposed to pornography at increasingly high rates. When around half have viewed pornography by age 12, and 97 sorry, um, yeah, and 90% by age 16. I thought that was the stats for boys, but it's not. It's also for girls. So, uh, how can we protect our kids? Uh, Of course, we need to install uh, internet filters on our computers and devices. But that is not enough. We need to talk to them about it in an open and frank way, when it is age-appropriate. It is imperative that we talk to them and we make them aware of the Christian view of sex and our sexuality, how it is a good gift of God. But we need to make them aware of the perils of porn. And we need to really be frank and candid with them. They need to understand it so that when they are confronted with that choice, when their peers are pressurising them, they can make a good choice and an informed choice. And we need to tell them so that they can also then be salt and light in the world, that they can have a positive influence on their peers to stop their peers sliding into this most horrible and destructive of areas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, what we've looked at today has been harrowing when we've seen how destructive and damaging pornography is. But we've also been reminded today of your view of sexuality and how it is a wonderful and good gift when used in the right context of marriage. Please, we pray, help us to not slip into the pit, the horrible pit of porn. Help us not to become ensnared in it. Help us not to Train our brains to become destroyed by it. If we struggle with porn, Lord, please, we pray, help us to find pathways out of it and help us to be honest and to take others into our confidence and to get support and help. And we pray for our kids. Please, Lord, protect them. We don't want this problem to be experienced by them. Please protect them. Help us as adults and as parents to be responsible, to talk about it from, with them, not to shy away from the topic, even though it may be difficult and awkward. Help us to know how to be wise and to be godly and to be Christ-like and to be loving to them in this area. And we pray this all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and to your glory. Amen.